it'd be really good to have Ephesians chapter 6 in front of you as we look at it together. Have you ever seen an optical illusion? It's where your eyes are seeing one thing, but your brain is seeing something completely different. It misinterprets it, and it causes you to see what's not really there. What about a film set? Before the uh, advent of computers, the backgrounds would be big sheets painted as sky and backgrounds. And the buildings, they'd be nothing more than plywood facades. Uh, and these days, of course, it's, it's green screens and computer-generated images. And our passage, it reminds us that although we're living uh, in a time of peace in our land, that's an illusion. The reality is very different. The reality is this, that we are in the middle of a war. Not a physical war, but a spiritual war. And my fear is this, that the church in Wales has long forgotten this fact. It's forgotten this truth. And the enemy is laughing at us as we sleep safely in our bunkers, as we sit in our churches. Our armour is rusty, it's discarded, our swords are sheathed, and he is overrunning our country. Now, as Nathaniel has reminded us, we have victory in the Lord Jesus, and we know we're getting to heaven. That doesn't change these truths, and we have responsibilities. So I want us to consider this passage under three headings. It's nice to know where we're heading, where we're going, and hopefully you won't fall asleep. Firstly, the reality of our situation. Secondly, the armour given for our defence. This is where the children are going to help us. And finally, our obligation to fight. Firstly then, the reality of our situation and we find this throughout our passage and in many other places in God's word. We don't live in a land of open persecution, do we? And none of us get up in the morning and fear death or injury because we love the Lord Jesus. It's not the same everywhere, is it? In other countries, people have died today just because they love the Lord Jesus. Yes, this world around us is an evil place and, and sometimes this evil grieves us. But if we're honest, we're too much like the world. We are worldly. And these things don't move us. We become hardened to them. All this wickedness around us all the time. And it doesn't move us. And we've forgotten that we're at war. If we remember, then our lives, my life. Please don't think I'm preaching to you. I'm preaching to myself as well here this evening. Our lives would look very different our armour would be bright and we'd be out fighting. What does the passage say? Verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Why do we need to be strong? If there's no foe, if there's no enemy, if there's no need for strength, then why would we need the Lord and his mighty power? What does verse 11 say? Put on the whole armour of God. Why? Why do Christians need armour? The only reason a person ever needs armour is because they're going into a dangerous situation. A situation where they may lose life or limb. A situation where they might be wounded, even mortally. 
And what about our enemy? We looked at him this morning. Verse 11, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He's our enemy, Satan. He's been our enemy from the beginning. God looked at everything he had made and he called it very good. And Satan looked upon it and he hated it. Having been cast out of heaven for his rebellion, he now seeks to ruin everything God has made. And most of all, he seeks to ruin us. He whispered lies into Eve's ear. He deceitfully reasoned with her and he caused her to eat that fruit as we thought about this morning. And the devil is still active. He didn't just stop there in Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3. Peter reminds us of this. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking somebody to devour. Have any of you been to a zoo? You see lions? We rather the lions were on that side of the fence. I wouldn't want one of those lions to be on my side of the fence. <laughs> but that's what the devil's like. He's as dangerous as a hungry lion wandering around looking for somebody to destroy. And in Genesis, we're told that the serpent is crafty. Paul warns us that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. In other words, something that looks good, something that looks harmless. So even things that have an, out, an outward appearance of goodness to us can be a snare to us and many others. I'm going to mention here a certain false religion that is spreading across the world. It's got lots of the morality of the Bible, lots of the rules of the Bible, the goodness of the Bible, but it denies Jesus and it replaces him with a false Jesus. It denies Jesus' cross, his death, his resurrection, and his divinity. And it replaces our beautiful gospel with a, a message of earn your way into heaven by good works and religious observation and repentance. But there is no cross. But biblical repentance is always turning away from sin, to Jesus because repentance cannot remove sin and how did this religion start it's when a spirit claiming to be the angel Gabriel came to a man meditating in a cave and whispered a new revelation into his ear and this religion is set to be bigger to overtake Christianity as the world's biggest religion in just a few years this is the spiritual reality of the world we're living in. I don't want this to alarm you. What did Jesus say? Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So don't let it concern you that this religion would be bigger and Christianity in a few years don't let it concern you at all but these things should wake us up to the fact that the enemy is active and we cannot and we must not continue in a state of sleepiness 
What does verse 12 say? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. When we try to stand for Jesus and meet resistance, when we try to share the gospel and hearts are, in, are indifferent and they're hard and ears are deaf and eyes are blind, when Christians are attacked and persecuted and maligned, when Jesus is ridiculed and used as a swear word, when other religions direct the attack, his person and his divinity, but when we speak the truth, it is hatred and bigotry and discrimination. When we look around and we are discouraged by backsliding and our own coldness of heart and because it is a day of small things and because our churches are shrinking. When we see all these things and we need to wake up. Wake up to these words. There is an active, powerful and dangerous enemy prowling this earth. Satan and his demons are the rulers of this world. They are our real enemies but their powers are not without limit. Satan is a defeated enemy. Nathaniel's drawn our attention to this. Paul tells the Romans, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That's the message to the church. Where's Satan going to be crushed under our feet? And who's going to do it? Not us, God. James tells us, resist the devil and he will flee from you. We'll look at how and why the devil no longer has power over us if we are in Jesus. But if we're not in Jesus, the Bible has difficult news for us. In Switzerland, uh, it, it, Switzerland's a neutral country and it doesn't get involved in wars. But there's no neutral ground in this battle. There is no fence to sit on. We're either in the Lord's camp, you and I, we're either in Jesus' camp or we're in the devil's camp. We're either on the victor's side or we're in the, enem the enemy's camp who's already been defeated on the cross. We thought this morning of how Jesus and how John told us that by nature, by birth, we are born as children of the devil. Jesus gives a parable, the parable of the weeds, and he explained this parable to the disciples. Jesus said, the field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom, the good seed. But the weeds are what? The sons of the devil. So we have the world, there's good seed, there's bad seed. Sons of the kingdom, sons of the devil. It's black and white. There's no middle ground. You're either with Jesus or you are against him. I'm not picking this side. As <laughs> Got to be careful, haven't you? Perhaps I should have pointed down the middle. <laughs> so these things are difficult to hear. But Jesus spoke plainly. And he often said things that offended or upset his hearers. Not for the sake of giving offense, but out of love. To wake us up to the truth. Because these things are matters of life and death eternal life and death if we're not with jesus then we are against him jesus concluded his explanation of the parable of the of the uh, weeds and these are serious words 
the Son of Man, that is Jesus, will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and will throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. I'm pleading with you, come out to the enemy's camp if you know you're there this evening. The application here is very simple. Christians, we've got to wake up and remember that we have an enemy. And likewise, those who are yet to give their lives to Jesus, that you too have an enemy. He hates you. He has power over you. He wants to destroy you. He tells you your sin is fun. He tells you there is no God. He tells you that religion and your own efforts can earn you a place in heaven. He tells you that being a good person is enough. He tells you that coming to church is enough. He'll tell you any lie or send you any distraction that will keep you from coming to Jesus. He'll tell you that you're not good enough for Jesus. He'll tell you that Jesus will spoil your fun. He'll tell you that sin isn't poisonous. He'll tell you that the wages of sin isn't death. He'll tell you that your sins are too big to be forgiven. But all these things are lies. He started lying right back at the, the start of time. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And he said, come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. So get about Satan's lies. Listen to Jesus. Jesus will set you free from sin, from death, and from the rule of Satan. His arms are spread wide on the cross for you. Come to him, give your life to him, and receive full and free forgiveness. Have God as your loving father rather than Satan who hates you. Right, and children, second point, the armour given for our defence. Have you ever wondered why your walk with Jesus is so weak? Why is my walk with Jesus so weak and defective? Why do I fall and stumble so often? I wonder. It grieves me. It shames me when I think of my sin and all the times I've gone astray, all the times I've backslidden and wandered from the path into Bypath, bypath Meadow. You, some of you have read Pilgrim's Progress. Paul reminds us that God has given his armour, spiritual armour, and that we need to wear it. Mortal wounds come on a battlefield when a bullet finds its way to a gap in the armour where, where your body's not covered. And what otherwise would have been a painful bruise becomes a mortal, a fatal injury. So Paul says, therefore take up the whole armour of God. Don't miss any out that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. I need to stand firm. In this evil day, I need to stand for Jesus. I need to be different, not conformed to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Where are we? What's our first bit of armour, boys? 
there in verse 14. Do you want to shout it out? No, go back a bit further. Verse 14, right at the start. It doesn't sound like a bit of armour. The belt, the belt of truth. What's the purpose of a belt? Not with, not, it's not to keep your trousers up. It was a bit different with armour. Okay? Belt binds the rest of the armour together. Okay? Kept all the armour together. Stopped it coming apart. Made it secure and safe. The belt of what? Truth. So are we lazy Christians? Or do we often find ourselves in God's word? Jesus said what? Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. The psalmist said, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my pathway. And I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We're such an easy target for Satan if we don't know God's word, if we don't know his promises. Every time the devil tried to tempt Jesus, Jesus answered him not with clever words. He answered him with scripture. And Jesus could do that. Because in his humanity, he had taken the time and effort to read, study, and learn God's word. Don't forget this. There was no cheating with Jesus. He laid aside his glory and he became fully man. He was fully man and fully God. But Jesus had to learn to walk and talk and read. He, he had to learn and study the Bible. It didn't come easily to Jesus. It took time it took effort. He became tired. He had the pressure of work, just the same as any of us. Just remember that uh, Jesus stayed at the temple, didn't he? And Mary and Joseph went to find him, and he, he came back with them. And he worked as a carpenter until the age of 30, when he started his ministry. But Jesus had clearly made time to study and learn God's word. He had made time to pray. It's so much harder for Satan to lie to us when we know the truth, when we know God's word. It's so much harder for him to use our faulty emotions against us when we know the truth. It's much harder for him or for our own sinful hearts to lead us astray uh, when we know God's word and the Holy Spirit can take hold of it. And, and he can speak to us in our minds and our hearts and convict us and keep us from straying from the narrow way. Right, next bit of armour, boys. The breastplate of what? The breastplate of righteousness. Right, this is the big, shiny bit at the front that covers your lungs and your kidneys and your heart. Keeps all of your important bits safe. And likewise, our righteous... Uh, Righteousness, not our righteousness, but Jesus' righteousness protects us. Now, what does the Bible tell us about our righteousness? This is the problem with relying on works to get to heaven. What does the Bible say? All our righteousness is as filthy rags. It's useless for covering our nakedness. We need Jesus' righteousness, as we thought about this morning. Jesus' righteousness, it shines like the sun. It is bright and pure and holy and it's this righteousness that comes from Jesus that allows us to stand before God as if we have never sinned 
And we receive it as a, a free gift when we first believe. And Jesus takes our sins upon himself on the cross. And in exchange, we get this beautiful righteousness to wear. And, and this righteousness, it makes Satan's accusations useless. Because he'll tell you, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. And you can say, I know I'm a sinner, but I'm righteous in Jesus. And he'll endlessly remind us of our sins. Sins we've repented of. Sins we've placed into the blood of Jesus. And we need to endlessly remind Satan of the cross. But this righteousness, it's something that we've got to apply each day. It's something that we've got to actively pursue. And this has got to do with how we live our lives. How our lives are transformed to be like Jesus' life. It's our word sanctification. When temptation comes our way, we must turn to God and pray for help. We'll never stand on our own. The devil doesn't flee from us because he's afraid of us. He flees from us because he can see who's standing behind us. A holy life should be our first priority. And the only way we can lead a holy life, a life marked out by righteousness, is not in our strength. It is in God's strength. Sin is always poisonous. It always causes harm. It always hurts us. And it hurts other people. And it always eventually leads to death, both physical and spiritual but when we take a stand against sin we protect ourselves from harm and we protect others from harm we deflect the blows of Satan; they bounce off this breastplate of righteousness it robs him of his power and it to hurt us and to hurt other people but putting on this righteousness it also it involves actively avoiding those things that cause us to fall into sin. Jesus was so clear about this, wasn't he? Be ruthless, ruthless with the causes of sin. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now, Jesus wasn't suggesting we mutilate ourselves, but he was making his point. If it causes you to sin, get rid of it. Chuck it out of your life. We need to stay away from places and people and TV shows and internet websites and other things that are a snare for us. Put down the book that leads our thoughts to impure places. Stop after one drink if the second is going to lead to a lack of self-control. Avoid the first drink if it's going to lead to the second drink. Avoid the place where drink is sold if we can't help ourselves. Stay away from that person who is not a wife or husband who we get along with just that little bit too well. Satan's always sneaking around looking for a way to cause us to fall. He's always looking for gaps in our armour. He wants to destroy our walk. He wants to destroy our faith. He wants to ruin our witness. He wants to hurt our church. He wants to put other people off from coming to Jesus because of our behavior. Verse 15. What's our next bit of armor, boys? Shoes. Sounds like a funny bit of armor, doesn't it? And as for shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, 
There are two schools of thought here with regards to this verse, and they're both equally valid. Of course, we should be ready to tell people the gospel. But there is another context here, and it's a better fit. And we have it there uh, in verse 19. There were no landmines in Paul's day, uh, but the enemy would hide spikes in the ground. And of course, if you didn't have good shoes on and you went onto those spikes, that's it, you're done. You can't run, you can't walk, you can't fight. You needed good shoes. And in Paul's day, the Roman soldiers had shoes that were full of nail studs. The bottom of those shoes were full of nail studs. And the other thing they did is they gave those soldiers really good grip on the battlefield. Do you boys play football? You've got togs with studs in the bottom. What are those studs for? Gripping into the ground so you don't slide. It's hard to move somebody who's got studs in their shoes. If you ever have a church uh, tug of war, make sure you've got your studs on. The readiness here in this verse is preparedness. This is what the Greek word means in, the, means in this verse. It reads this, and having shod the feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. It's so precious, isn't it, the gospel? And we need to understand it in all of its simplicity, because it is simple, and also in all of its depths. And it's only when it's only then that we'd be prepared to withstand the onslaughts of false teachers. Our nail-studded shoes will allow our feet to stand firm. And likewise, if we know the gospel, if we're prepared, we will proclaim with certainty, this is the truth, and I will not be led astray. Mark my words, you will come across a man with a white hat and a beard in town at some point in the next few years, telling you that the Bible is corrupt and telling you all sorts of things. If you don't know it, if you don't know the truth, then you are in serious trouble. They will make mincemeat out of you. We need to know God's word. Paul often dealt with this issue of false te teachers in his letters. Jesus warned us about false teachers and the Old Testament is sprinkled with warnings against false prophets. One of Satan's greatest attacks on Christians and on the church is his attack on the gospel of peace. Satan will try to replace the cross with anything and everything else. Good works, our own efforts, prayers, saints, false Jesuses, Bible reading, church activities, religious observances, rituals, anything other than faith in the cross and Jesus' death on the cross to save us. He attacks the church with false teachings. He uses false teachings to keep people in darkness and he perverts the gospel in any way that he can. But Jesus was clear, there is no salvation outside of him and his cross. We can add nothing to it and we can take nothing away from it. Right, we've got three bits of kit to look, look at quickly left. Verse 16, what's the next one? Verse 16. Shield, brilliant. The shield of 
faith what's it for with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one jesus so often rebuked his disciples didn't he for their lack of faith faith is pivotal to our walk as christians it's that unshakable immovable belief that the bible is god's word and that there is the truth and that jesus christ died for us these things defend us from so many of satan's attacks if we believe without doubting then his lies his flaming darts they just bounce off they're useless to him faith takes the fire out of satan's lies and when we take god at his word then satan's lies can find no purchase in our lives if we begin to doubt god's word then the fire will spread unbelief will cause us to fall into sin it'll cause us to doubt god's promises and we'll find ourselves in john bunyan's doubting castle christian and his friend they wandered off the path they ended up in the castle belonging to giant despair how did christian get out he had a key what was the key called promise it's that belief that god-given faith in his word and his promises that allow us to escape the traps of the devil and when we're low when our emotions have got us down when we've sinned when we've fallen how do we get out of the pit faith in the promises of god we believe his word we come back to the cross and we are restored right next one verse 17 Don't be shy. Helmet of salvation. Lovely. The helmet of salvation. If somebody hits you in the head, it's either going to be fatal or you're going to be knocked out and then you're easy prey for your enemy, aren't you? The helmet protects the head. And that's where most of our spiritual battle happens, isn't it? It's in the head. Outward sins usually start in the head the secret sins of the heart secret sins of the mind we don't have time to think about this properly but let me give you two quick applications paul wrote this in colossians 3 verse 2 set your minds on things that are not below the things that are above not on the things that are on earth when we spend our time thinking about and dwelling upon the, the things of god rather than on sinful things it protects us paul wrote this to the philippians finally my brothers and sisters whatever is true whatever is noble whatever is right whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is admirable if anything is excellent or praiseworthy think about such things so when sinful thoughts creep into your head don't entertain them deliberately change your train of thought to something holy and useful the second application is this philippians 4 verses 6 to 7 do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to god and the peace of god which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and mind in christ jesus anxiety plagues us today doesn't it sometimes it's a mental health problem but a lot of the time it's it's a symptom of christians not leaning upon 
their heavenly father. And it leads to a troubled and anxious mind. Peter says, cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. So our salvation will protect our minds from sinful thoughts and anxiety, but only if we exercise it. We have a responsibility in these things. Last one. I'm not sure what verse this is in. The sword, the sword. Whose sword is it, boys? Whose sword? It says it's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Here's the sword of the Holy Spirit. It's your Bible. Not our sword. Sword of the Spirit. It's the final part of our armor, and it's defensive and offensive. In other words, it's for defending us, and it's for attacking it's God's word. We've got to know it. We've got to read it. We've got to study it. We've got to understand it. The Holy Spirit takes it up and he uses it to great effect. He uses it not only to attack the enemy, but to deal with us. This is how we are changed. Hebrews 4 verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. It would have been a good verse for this morning. But we must pray for the Holy Spirit. We've got to make every effort to listen to God's word. I've been long this evening, I'm sorry. But don't fall asleep in church. Make every effort to listen and fill our hearts and mind with God's word. Satan would rather fill them with sin. Well, finally, and very briefly, we have an obligation to fight. If we're in a war, but we spend our whole time hiding in our bunker asleep, then the war won't be won. The enemy will have free reign to trample the whole country. Just look at the bravery of those soldiers in Ukraine. Why haven't Russia been able to overrun Ukraine? Is it because we gave them fancy weapons? It's not. It's because the Ukrainians are on the front lines holding back the Russians. They're, they're fighting. They're spilling their own blood to, for the freedom of their country. I'm not making a political comment to you. This is about our spiritual battle. We too have an obligation to fight. It's why we've been given armor. We're too often hiding in the comfort and safety of our churches. But we have a gospel to preach. We have good news to share. It's the one commandment Jesus gave to the, the church. The one great commission. He said, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. But are we doing it? Or do we leave it to others? Evangelism is the responsibility of the whole church. That means me and you. It's terrifying, isn't it? The thought of speaking up for Jesus. The thought of trying to reach our family and friends and colleagues and communities with the gospel. It's frightening. We're not used to it. We're out of the habit of doing it. We may be baptized and we give our testimony. And it's the last time we publicly say, a word for Jesus. We're not all evangelists. We're not all preachers. But we all have the good news. And we all have a personal testimony to share. About what Jesus has done for us. 
So what's our involvement? Listen to how Paul concludes. Pray at all times. This is where the battle's won. On our knees. Pray at all times in the spirit. With all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Making supplication for all the saints. And also for me. The words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly. To proclaim the mystery of the gospel. For which I am an ambassador in chains. Paul knew the cost. That I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Can I suggest to you that the front line of this war is the prayer meeting. How many of us are committed to prayer? How many of us make a determined effort to attend the prayer meeting every week? I don't know this church. How many of you will be in the prayer meeting on Wednesday with Nathaniel? When you could be. I like to see that hand going up there. We can't always be at the prayer meeting. I'm not criticising if you can't make it to the prayer meeting. But if you're sat at home watching telly, okay, that's a problem. Get to the prayer meeting. How many of us pray in the prayer meeting? It's a prayer meeting. Don't worry about the people sitting around you. Pray. Do we pray? Do we pray daily? Do we pray in our private life? Do we pray for preaching of the word? Do we pray for evangelists and missionaries? Do we pray for our own witness? Do we pray for opportunities to tell our families and friends about Jesus? Do we pray for the lost amongst our children? We need to repent of our prayerlessness. It's why the church in Wales is in such a mess. We're not praying. And once we're praying people, we should become a, a working people. A people who are willing and able to be involved in the ministries of the church. Even if it's just putting away the chairs or the, the hymn books or doing the cleaning or making the tea and coffee. It hasn't got to be glamorous. It hasn't got to be down the front. Just be willing to lend a hand. When our leaders ask for help to run a ministry, do we prayerfully consider and then say, Lord, send me, even though we feel weak and inadequate? Or are we just happy to attend once on a Sunday and not be involved and leave the work to others? Well, friends, by the grace of God, may we put on the armour he has given us, get to the front lines in prayer and action so that the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus is proclaimed to this fallen world and Jesus' name is glorified.